Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. And we will pick it up at verse 21. Matthew 15, 21. You know, it's funny uh, when you, you get to study the Bible, then teach it. Especially going through the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. Every time I come up to a story, I go, oh, this has got to be my favorite one. You know, so, so far, 99.9%, they've all been my favorite ones. So, but this is my favorite one. And because um, there, there's something in this that literally, it's not a lot of verses, but you have to tap the brakes on, as it were, look at it and think, what a remarkable woman this is. And I'll show you why in a minute. But if you wanted to put a, a, a title or a t- name to this message, man, just put faith, prevailing faith and what it looks like. Because that's what I see in this, this gal here uh, in our text here. So Matthew 15, starting with verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the, the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of, of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, please notice this, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Harry's paraphrase, she's bugging us. But he answered, and he said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered, and he said, It's not me to take the children's bread and then cast it to the dogs. Ouch! And she said, Well, true, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Not a lot of verse, but come on. Be, that's remarkable. Let's stand together. Bible in hand. Let's pray over this. Father God, again, again, we thank you for your written word. We thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit came upon certain men and, and, and ordained them to pen these thoughts that come directly from heaven. Father, I pray, God, that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, that it wouldn't only be the written word, but, Lord, the spoken word as well. God, we just commit our hearts to you, Father, to do what, with it, Lord, as you will. We love you, Lord. If we need to be corrected, if we need to be loved on, Father, if we need to be encouraged, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do so. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. amen. Thank you. Excuse me. Man, I'm so parched. Verse 21, it says that Jesus went thence and he came and he departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, what's happening now here in the life and the ministry of Jesus is he is leaving the northern part, the area of Galilee. And if you have remember the last several uh, weeks we've been studying about Jesus and about his teaching and where it was uh, focused and located, and that was the area around Capernaum beautiful place. If you ever get a chance to visit Israel, you want to stop there. 
But he, that was his kind of headquarters. And if you remember that he had made a, an attempt twice to get alone and to, be, and to be with his disciples. But every time, you know, if he said, hey, I'm going to meet you on the other side. When they got to the other side, there was a great multitude. And he could never find any downtime with his disciples. So finally, he's thinking, okay, in order to do this, we're going to have to go to a place where I, I won't be followed. So he goes to this area of Tyre, Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Mark says that there was a woman that came. Remember Mark, the, the Gospel of Mark. And he says about this woman that she was a Syrophoenician. And so that kind of gives us an idea of the atmosphere and, and what the disciples and Jesus is experiencing. She comes into this area, they come into this area again, probably trying to secure some kind of privacy to be alone with the Lord. Uh, at this point in Jesus' life, the religious leaders in the community, the religious community, um, is really bent on um, destroying Jesus. And now it isn't just trying to slander him and mock him and call him, you know, the son of Beelzebub. Now they're saying he has gone too far. People are calling him the Messiah. People are, you know, thinking, is he the chosen one? We've got to take this guy out. We've got to murder him. But in verse 22, it says, In that area, behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the coast. Again, Syrophoenician, which tells us that she is a Canaanite. And um, the Canaanites, uh, you know, uh, was um, located in the promised land. If you remember, um, through Joshua, the, um, the, he brought the Israelites into the land of Canaan. And when that happened and all the wars and battles and all, and then the Canaanites were displaced. And a lot of them went up into what we call uh, Tyre and Sidon. And then they began to call themselves Syrophoenicians. And, uh, but the bottom line is enemies of Israel. Enemies of Israel. And uh, steeped into paganism. Uh, worshiping the war god, the sex god. And not only uh, that... Um, child sacrifice was prevalent. It was, it was like um, rampant. And I remember my first visit to Israel. Um, I had the chance to visit an old Canaanite altar. It was um, um, probably roughly around uh, four or five feet in, in height, about um, maybe 30 to 50 feet in diameter. And when the archaeologists discovered this thing, they thought, what a discovery, dating back the mosaic time period and all that. But when they started to unearth around it, all they found was children bones. And so this was one of their altars where they would sacrifice um, to their God, um, but using babies. Uh, and uh, it sounds pretty morbid. Well, it is morbid and heartbreaking to many of us. Um, that humanity can get that low. to But we're not too far from that today. But I don't want to go and turn this into that topic. And um, so she, she's out of that. She has this heritage of uh, pagan, paganism and uh, pagan gods. Her heritage is not uh, is race-wise, is looked down upon. Um, and, and it tells us that uh, she's desperate. And the reason why I know she's desperate is in verse 22 where she just says, my daughter. You know, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. 
And, uh, you know, it's one thing to know about demon possession uh, and evil and wickedness and to be a student of demonology. But it's another thing to experience it. It's not experienced that much in the United States. And it hasn't been. But I have been in third world country where, man, I just wanted to get out of there. I know I'm covered in the blood. And I, I sense the spirit every time I go into these places. But, man, when you start to see them cut the throat of an animal and then pray to some pagan god. When you witness, uh, at, I was at this temple. It was a temple dedicated to monkeys where they worship the monkey as an idol. To see a monkey come down off the, the edge of a roof and attack a, a young little boy, maybe 10, 10 years of age, and not one parent come to the rescue, to hear that kid scream for his life. And we're not talking about little tiny circuits. We're talking about almost chimpanzee-like. And, uh, and me and a buddy of mine, Harris, from Calvary, Philadelphia, charged a monkey just to scare it, to spook it away. And I was so upset, thinking, why wouldn't you? Well, then I realized well, that was a God to them. That was just a deity. And in my heart, I had to fight resentment, fight anger. I I really did. There was something in my heart. I'm thinking, how dare you as a human person, you know, to value an animal more than you value a human being. You know, and I was corrected, you know, by the spirit gently. And, you know, you weren't too far from that, Harry. You know, you know, so, but by the grace are we saved through faith that not of ourselves. Amen. But by the grace of God, good there I. And we have to be careful of pride. But she is grievously vexed by a devil. And I'll tell you something, guys. I, I can't tell you. I, I, I might have seen demon possession. I could count it maybe on one hand where I knew it was totally d- d- demonic. But I have seen evil more than I can tell you. I have seen evilness in, in countries that I just scratch my head in, in bewilderment. And... Uh, uh, but I think all, all parents can somehow relate to this. When our children are, are vexed by wickedness, where we see our kids gravitating to things, then we go, how, how can society go? I, I, I'm telling you something, guys. But, but we become so, it become, we become so uh, lethargic. No, 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 I don't want to use that word. Um, desensitized. And listen, I'm just as fault as many other parents, you know. The games we allow our children to pick up and play, you know. The music we, we just turn our ears deaf to and we just tell the kids, oh, they'll grow out of it. You know, yeah, and I'm not a, a, a pastor that condemns. I'm not, you know, but it does vex my heart when I see what our kids are embracing today. I read an article not too long ago of how many kids in elementary school own an iPhone, I would never tell a parent what to do. Never. I would never try to lord over anyone. But do you know what you're opening your children up to when you give them that device? They're saying kids in grades as low as third grade are exposed to pornography today. Well, no, I got blocks on it. Don't kid yourself. Satan is as real now as he was back then. And he will, he's out to destroy our children. You know, I'm sorry. That's not even my notes. It's just something from my heart to your heart. I do not, I am, well, this sounds bad. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not raising kids today. Um, I, my heart goes out to you that, that you have little ones in the public school system. I, it, I just, be, pray, be prayerful, be diligent, be observant. Don't just think everybody cares for your kids. Don't. I saw a, a, something just recently where it was out in Chicago, but it was a, an elementary school teacher leading her class on how to meditate. 
and, and to hone in on nothing but Hindu gods. The whole class, and parents couldn't do anything about it. Anyway, it's an evil world we live in, isn't it, guys? So, for more good news, tune in. You know, it's a, wow. <laughs> but you imagine this. Imagine this, though. This is this woman, and now her heart is grieved because her child is vexed with evil, with wickedness. This child is demon-possessed. And she comes to him in verse 22 and says, have mercy on me. And this is what blows my mind, where she says to him, O Lord, thou son of David. You and I go, well, that's just a nice title for, um, for Jesus. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, Lord, that's one thing. She could be using the word curious. She's willing to relinquish her rights, and that's what that word means. But son of David, she just recognized him to be the Jewish Messiah. She's a Canaanite. She is a pagan. I kind of scratch my head and think, where on earth did she get this information from? You know, she, it wasn't, she was not raised in Sunday school. She didn't, she didn't know the difference between Old Testament and New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Ten Commandments, Mosaic Law. She didn't know nothing about Levitical Law. But somehow, this woman, because of her need, a desperate need, she comes to him and she goes, man, I have heard a lot about you. And if you are the Jewish Messiah, would you please have mercy? Would you have mercy on my daughter? But the response is shocking. If you notice in verse 23. To me, the reason why it's shocking is because I don't know this of Jesus. You know, not too well anyway. Where he doesn't say a word. He's completely silent. She comes, she says, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You know, she almost blames herself. She doesn't say have mercy on my daughter. She's almost saying, you know, maybe I've opened this little one up to this kind of evil. And you think about that. If she was that kind of a worship, if her heritage was paganism, then she worshipped every, every idol that you can imagine. Every perversion that you can imagine. All the way up to child sacrifice. And she's saying, I need mercy. I just need mercy. Does she blame herself? You know, I've heard a lot of parents saying, man, I wish I never started drinking at least not in front of my kids. Wish I never picked up a cigarette. Wish I didn't smoke. Stats say that 90 some percent of children that witness these kind of things will eventually either practice them or become addicted themselves. If so, that's if you're a smoker, your kids will smoke. If you're a drinker, you're, it's not my statistic. You research it yourself. Take the computer and type it in, and you'll find out. What the kids, what they, it's, lear, it's called learned behavior. They'll pick up off the people they love. They really will. So um, anyway, he doesn't answer a word to her. And to me, that, that is really kind of um, mind-blowing. Um, but she never looks at it as if, she, if he's being rude or indifferent towards her. She doesn't even miss a heartbeat or a step. And, uh, and, and you look at this thing. And, and you know that he is doing something for her because it is encapsulated in the whole story. You know the outcome. So her, his silence towards her, you know, speaks more. It speaks volumes. And the one thing that we want to, um, to, to mention here is silence is not no. Silence is not the answer no. And, so, and we do, as Christians, we get that confused sometimes where we experience silence and right away we think well, that must mean no. And I'm telling you something, folks. Been doing this a long time. You know what silence means? It means silence. 
It means just tap the brakes a little bit and slow down. You might be moving too fast. It might be that he's trying to pull something out of your life just like he's trying to pull something out of her life. And it isn't evil. It's for the good. He loves us so much that there's times where he's just going to say to you and say to me, I am just going to be quiet here. And no wonder the Bible says not to lean on our own understandings, but just to acknowledge him in all our ways. He will direct our paths, but his timing's perfect. So you might be experiencing silence. Oh, I haven't heard God in in years. Keep listening. Because silence is beautiful. What did David say in the cave of Adullam? He said, be silent and know. This is what God said to David. Be silent and know, know that I am God. That's sometimes, that's where you experience that he is God. Just by being silent and listening. He is not, uh, he's no different. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The way he treats this woman, and he, she is, in their minds, the disciples' minds, nothing but a filthy pagan. And yet God looks at her, and he is amazed at her faith. How do I know that? Drop down to verse 28 real quick, where he says, O thou woman. Man, what, she, what does he say to her? Great is thy faith. The disciples didn't see it. And I'm not too sure she even saw it. But I know this. She was a desperate woman. And the reason why she was desperate was because it had to do with something with her kid, her daughter. And I've seen over the years many desperate moms and dads just wondering, where did we go wrong? And I'm not saying we've done anything wrong, but that is a question that is asked too many times in my office. Where did I go wrong, Harry? Why did my kid pick this way of living? And you know what I say to them? Did you have devotions with them? Yes. Took them to church? Yeah. Train up in a child the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart. But they left. No, no, no. They won't depart from the training. They'll know the truth. And they will come home. Maybe not to your physical home. But they'll come home to the spiritual home. They'll come back to the Lord. I have to believe that with all my heart. Because he loves us. He doesn't hate us. And he's got a perfect plan for each and every one. He had a perfect plan for this girl. Again, you'll see in a second, the disciples didn't see it. And by Jesus' reaction, we might not see it. But when we look at this, the whole story, man, do we see God's mercy in it. You know, the one thing that, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say this now, um, the one thing that we see in her, in her life is a faith that prevails. It is a prevailing faith. You know, guys, faith can be um, very confusing. It, it really can be. I know when I became a Christian, um, the faith that I experienced initially wasn't confusing. It was just me and Jesus, and I loved him with all my heart. And I had the greatest times with him in my bedroom or working under a car, restore, restoring an old Duesenberg or whatever. I wasn't involved with the church yet. I just knew I was saved. And, uh, and I could talk to him anytime. And then it was just a relationship. And I realized that faith is a relationship. Having faith, having relationship with Jesus Christ is a prevailing faith. It's a strong faith. It's a triumphant faith. It's a faith that can conquer. 
And again, is it demonic? Is it evil? Is it just or stupidity on the believer's part to think that faith is actually a formula? See, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us how faith really works. We know faith is the substance of things we hope for, not the evidence of things seen. Okay, we can say that till the cows come home, but that does not show me anything about my relationship with Jesus. So what is it? Faith is a relationship. Faith is being able to, no matter where you're at, to have dialogue with your Father in heaven. You don't have to wait to come this Sunday. And I want you here, so I'm not trying to scare you away. And I, or come to Wednesday because you feel a little down that day. No, guys, faith is when you walk into your house and you can dialogue with your Father in heaven. It's when you lay down and you know He's putting you to bed. He's raising you up in the morning. You're speaking to Him. You're praying about things. You don't know if you should eat now or eat later. When I was a brand new babe in the Lord, I would ask Him, Hey, do you want me to eat now? You want me to wait? You want me to go see my buddies? Tell them about you, Lord? You know? I know they don't want me there anymore, but... Oh, what the heck? We'll go do it anyway. Hey, because I was so stubborn with my friends, a lot of them come here today. I'm talking about 30 years ago. I wouldn't leave them alone. I sat down next to a friend of mine in study all one time. I said, you want to hear about Jesus? She goes, no. I said, tough. I'm telling you anyway. Oh, man, I had such a relationship with him. But that's a prevailing faith. That's a faith that triumphs. When we try to, try to put a formula to it. Listen, years later when I, I started, I went off into seminary and, I, and the faith movement started. They came up with all these little slogans. There was one that said, you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. And I was ready to say that. And I went, I can't pay my rent this month. I got a lot of problems. I thought, that's not true. That's not true at all. Jesus said that wasn't true. He said that we would have in this life tribulations. But I shouldn't be afraid because he overcame the world. So I'm going to have problems. But he's never, he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's always with me to the end of the age. And all I have to do is just be silent and open my ears and just say, okay, talk to me again, God, as if I was saved again in 1973 and all I heard was your voice. Because that is a prevailing faith. That is a faith that overcomes. And that's what this woman had. She's a remarkable woman. And I can't wait to meet her in heaven. Give her a high five. Thanks, sis. Saved me a lot of heartache. She, uh, she comes to Jesus and look, look what the disciples say to her. Verse 23, send her away. She's crying after us. Now, I'm not going to be too harsh on the disciples, but that's brutal. <laughs> Come on, poor girl is pouring out her heart here, man. And you're going to say, they had an act of sending a, pe a people away. If you remember when he was feeding the multitude, before he fed the multitude, you know, they, they send them away to the villages so they can get something to eat. And, but again, maybe they, maybe they did have a, a sensitivity towards their needs, but um, still, they, But the thing that it's so obvious to me is that when they want to send these people away, it's right before God wants to do something miraculous. Too many times because of the silence of God, we're just, oh, you know what? This isn't of God. Let's just send it away. 
well, just forget it. Ixnated, void, forget about it. And goes, no, 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 I'm just about ready to do something. Just hang in there, don't give up. As she... The, the first reaction, she, she doesn't hear a word. The second reaction, you know, is she'd send her away. And then the third reaction to, to, the, to her was when Jesus said to her, I haven't come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, who is he talking to? Is, is she standing right next to him? Is he now, I'll send her away. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I'm really was, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, you know, well, what kind of answer is that? The thing that is so obvious to me is uh, the, uh, the obstacles and um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Is it, I mean, she just doesn't give up. But you know why, gang? That's exactly what desperation does. When someone is that desperate, she, you know what she's thinking? They want to send me away. You know what, though? I'm not going to pretend that that's Jesus' heart. And I know Jesus said, I'm not sent to the, to the, you know, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. I know I'm not Jewish. I'm a Syrophoenician. I, I get that. But I, you know what? I am not giving this up because I am a desperate person. And when you're desperate, you just don't give up. I love what after Jesus said that, but I, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I think the reason why it can be very difficult for us is because you and I, we have the whole book and we know that Jesus did care for everyone. So why would he say to the disciples in earshot of this woman, um, you're not that important. That's what it seems like. You're not that important. Only Israel, you know. But look what she does in verse 25. She came and worshipped him. You know what, gang? When, you, when, you're, when you're experiencing a, a time period where it's just silent, you, it just, it just, you, you know to tap the brakes, but what do you do in that moment is you begin to worship. And what worship? Worship is not praise. Worship literally means doxa. We get the word doxology. It literally means a bowing down. It means to, to almost lay down. It's where you just humble yourself in his presence. And you begin to praise him for who he is. Not what he can do. You praise him that he is the creator. You praise him that he loved mankind. You praise him because he's not a respecter of persons. You praise him because it is will. His will none would ever perish. You praise him because you know there's a greater plan in this whole thing. And then you begin to just worship him. But I still don't hear him. It doesn't matter. Because it's prevailing faith. You believe what the Bible says. And everything I just said is a verse out of the Bible. It is true that he will never leave you, never forsake you, always be with you to the ends of the earth. It is his will that none would ever perish, but come unto the... For God so loved the curious, the world, that he gave his only begotten. He loves mankind, and for Jesus to act this way, that should spark curiosity in your own heart. Why? Again, capsulated in the whole story, we know why. 
And you and I, we would not, if, if we didn't see a miracle here, you and I would have looked at this account and came up with our own thinking and saying, well, this is probably what it, there's one reason that Jesus ignored her and that was to draw something out of her. She comes and she worships. She's not going to be discouraged. She's not going to quit. And the reason why is because simply she has not heard no. I'm not going to touch your kid. I'm not going to. She's never heard that. She understands what they're doing. Whether they're perturbed or whether they're just impatient. I don't know. We can check it out when we get to heaven. But Jesus saying, I only came for that. That is true. Prophetically, that's exactly, and she knew that because we're going to see that in the next statement. But she understands that the Jewish Messiah would come unto his own. His own would not receive him. Then the wild branch, which is the Gentiles, would eventually be grafted in, which Paul called the great mystery about the church. She knew that. You're right. I do not deserve it. I am not Jewish. I am pagan. I am a Canaanite. And I used to practice, it's in, it's in uh, you know, in, in my heritage, I get that. But she still says, but can you help me? Can you just do that? Notice her prayer too is only three words. Lord, help me. Sometimes they're the greatest prayers. Why? Because usually they're prayers of desperation. I can't do this is another great one. Too many times we think it's the wording of our prayers and the length of our prayers and how long we fast. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying when you're in a moment of desperation, sometimes you can only say, Lord, help me. How about Peter when he was going under? Do you think he said, Heavenly Father, thou gracious omnipotent God, could you just lend down a hand and pull me up before I drown? I don't think so. Lord, save me! I'm going under. I'm going to drown. Have mercy on me. Please help me. It's not for me. It's for my kid. I think more, more parents ought to understand that principle. Maybe we would see more of the hand of God upon their lives. More is caught in prayer than anything, guys. To cry out for your children. You know that movie? I only saw it once and I thought it was a pretty good movie. I don't see a lot of movies, but uh, it's about that dear woman who had a prayer room or a prayer warrior or war room. How many of you guys saw that movie, War Room? What are you guys going to movies for? <laughs> All right, no, I'm kidding. Okay, I'm kidding, kidding. I saw it. I saw it. My wife and I. And I'll tell you, it just stirred my heart to want to be more of a prayer warrior for my kids, for my for my friends that are still out there in the world. So much is caught in prayer. Um, but be that as it may. Notice his, again, Jesus' reaction when uh, he, he says, but he answered and he said unto them, uh, I'm sorry, she comes to you, Lord, help me. Then he answers and he says, look, it's not me to take the children's bread and then cast it to the dogs. Now you and I would say, ouch, Really? Now, everybody tries to make this a very cute little story about the word dog there. It does mean a household dog or even a puppy. 
And, and when she says this, she, he says this, she knows exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the children, the table being the nation, the children that are sitting around are the Jews, and she is the dog under the table. Everybody makes this about a crumb. And indeed, it's an, an important part. But the one thing that she realizes, no, Jesus, you're right. And, and I am not Jewish. I'm not the children of Israel. And I know what you think about Canaanites. But you know what? I'm not asking to sit at the table where the Jews belong. But man, if I could just have a stick and crumb from the floor, I would love it. Because that's all Jesus needs to give anyone who's demon-possessed is just a crumb for complete deliverance. That's amazing faith this woman has. Yeah, you get, think of the picture. You, you, how many of you guys have dogs, right? Yeah, I want to see how many of you guys have dogs. And now, now, are they not a nuisance at dinner time? They just know when dinner is, you know? My little Jack will sit there, and I hate when he does this. I'm always trying to set, because I won't feed him from the table. He knows that. He's 14. He still doesn't get it. <laughs> little Paul comes up. Get out of here. But I had this dog, Roby. Yeah, 14 years we had him. He was a great lab, huge, over 100 pounds. And Roby would do the same thing, man. He would sit there and look at us while we're eating. As soon as Irm says, okay, supper's ready, the dog was the first one sitting near the table. And just waited. Always used to try to sit next to Tim. Tim was the sloppy one. Something will fall. It is amazing, too, because whatever, because Tim was the one where he didn't want his food touching each other, you know, and he wouldn't eat. So he was trying to shove the peas to Roby and... And, but if a pea, even a little pea, would fall to the ground, he would dive on that thing. And by the time he was trying to capture it, the whole area soaked with his saliva. I mean, it looked like he was, I'm getting this, you know. You guys got the picture, right? I used to tell him, get, it, get in the other room. And you could see from the, the middle room into our kitchen, you could see right in. He was sitting there and every, he'd stare at us. Just, and I'd go, you begging? And he'd go, My boy, Roby. But now think of this picture. She's just sitting there. And she's just willing just for one crumb to hit the floor. And she'll dive on it. With all her being, she'll embrace it. Because she knows that's the only thing that's needed to deliver her child. That to me is prevailing faith. That is a conquering faith. And that is a faith that Jesus asks us all to have. There's no such thing as just great, superior, supernatural faith. Faith is simply trusting him. The, the, the supernatural, the superiorness, all that is in his hands, not ours. And that's the danger of some of these people that teach health and wealth. It makes you divine. Let your will be done on earth as it is in mine. And some people will pray, let my will be done on earth. Sometimes the Lord wants us just to experience silence. So she says that, yes, Lord, but even the dogs will eat the crumbs which fall from their master's, master's table. 
And, and, and again, she gets it. She understands this illustration. In verse 28, he says to her, Woman, great is thy faith, and be it unto thee as thou will. And, your, and the daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now Mark's gospel tells us she left then, went home, and she came into her, into her house, and her daughter was sitting there completely delivered and in her right mind. Would you not long, or do you not long, again, for our kids to be touched like that? Uh, my, my teenagers, they were crazy. They were insane. Yet, like, my, my son swallowed three quarters on a dare. I said, are you insane? Are you stupid? I did. I used the word stupid. Are, are you stupid? Go to the ER and explain to a doctor, doc, my kid swallowed three quarters. He almost turned around and said, are you stupid? <laughs> it was not a good night. Not just trying to make light of it a little bit, but you and I both know that our children experience evil in this world. And not from you. No, no, not from you. I know you love your kids. You love your family. And every parent does. But the world... The world is after them and evil influences. And, and what I'm trying to say to you is that you just look for that crumb that might fall from the master's table. Embrace it and watch God touch your kids. That might be a time of prayer in a prayer room or it might be through your Bible reading or those alone walks with him. But he will do that. I want to share something in closing. I had this old book that I, in fact, it might even be the original print, and I love collecting old books. And um, I have, it's called Prevailing Prayer, and it's by D.L. Moody. And uh, I think you can get online and get a, a copy of it, but you're not going to get an original. And um, I, boy, that sounded pretty boastful, didn't it? I have one, I don't know. But, um, I just love D.L. Moody. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Passion for Souls. It's another good read about the life and ministry of D.L. Moody. Passion for Souls, if you're writing that down. And um, he is so much like us. He, he was like us. Of course, he's with the Lord. But he loved people. He loved people. He loved the Lord. He, he was involved with the wars as a chaplain. He, he, was, he was almost illiterate when he went into the, into the ministry, uh, taught himself to read and write. I mean, the guy was remarkable. His wife, Emma, uh, lovely wife, supported him in the ministry. And, and he wrote this book, again, Prevailing Prayer. And I just want to share just a few thoughts that um, I dug up out of this old book. And it basically, it's what really... Um, uh, prevailing faith looks like. Prevailing faith is a faith that will always come to Jesus. I'll quote him. Because no one's faith is greater or stronger than the one they put their faith in. I, and, and I might say, okay, that's a pretty good quote, but please listen to it. Because here's the danger in the millennial reign, you know. It, the danger is to put your faith into something else. And it, I'm not saying they're good or evil and different. I'm just saying that I've, I've heard too, too many times people putting their faith in a book, putting their faith in, in, in a counselor, putting their faith in a method, putting their faith in. And, and I'm not saying any of that is wrong. All I'm saying is a prevailing faith will, will put their faith in Jesus. They will go to Jesus first before they do anything else. Is it not prophesied about him that he would be our great counselor, prince of peace, mighty God? We'll be... I'll be teaching on that on Christmas Eve. He is our counselor. 
He is the one. And again, prevailing faith is a relationship. Prevailing faith is telling you to hang in there when it's quiet. Prevailing faith is, is being able to say, okay, now it's time to get up. Now it's time to move. Or it might be not now. No, it is not now. But please never accept silence as a no. So many people, like the disciples, just want to send it away because they're just, they can't make sense and rhyme and reason of it. Don't buy into that lie. He loves you. He's got a glorious plan for you. And part of that might be, we're just going to hang out for a while and you're just going to have to meditate on me. You tap the brakes and slow down. A prevailing faith is a faith that's not afraid uh, to come to God in the face of desperation. You know, because, you know, you'll say, well, that, hello, you know, you're desperate, you will go to God. No, no, on the contrary, especially with people that have been raised in the church. Here I am raised in the church. I know all the answers and this, this, this moment of desperation. I need to just go to Jesus and Jesus alone. That, that more people that have been raised in the church don't understand that they need to go directly to Jesus. Because no book is going to tell you, you've got to suffer through this. And I'll tell you, suffering is part of God's plan for your life. And every one of us, I can guarantee you, has suffered somehow. You tell me one person that enjoys losing a loved one. One parent that enjoys losing one of their teenagers to a drug overdose. Tell me. And yet this false pseudo immature shallow promotion of this kind of faith is crippling the church. Not helping it. We need a faith that triumphs. A faith that conquers. And sometimes that faith It's just being silent to know that he is God. A a prevailing faith is a faith that will come to Jesus with the knowledge that they have of him. She's not a scholar. She does not know the difference between the Old Testament, New Testament. She hasn't read through the Ten Commandments, Levitical laws and all that. She has no idea of Judaism and at least she knows nothing about Christianity. She hasn't been birthed yet. And yet she still goes to him with what she knows of him. And that is, you are the Jewish Messiah. And too many times I've heard young Christians saying, I just don't know enough. I haven't read through the Bible enough. Well, what do you know about him? Well, I know he loves me. There you go. Well, I know he cares about me. Well, there you go. You know, when I was a kid, guys, I always believed in God. I was not a good kid. I was not a good person. But there was somewhere in my warped mind, I believed that there was some, something that was eternal. I would lay out in my backyard and look up into the sky and think, and there's got to be more. It's got to be more. There's got to be a wall up there or something. There's got to be something behind the wall. And I used to torture myself thinking, there's got to be something more than just this meaningless life. And I wasn't a philosopher. Man, I was, I was in juvie by the time I was 16. But I'll tell you something. There was something that was drawing me. And so when my brother came home from Nam, came out of the mental hospital in Fort Bragg and told me about that this supreme thing that I was thinking about, this, this eternity, whatever I was... He goes, Harry, that became flesh, dwelt among us, loved us enough to die on the cross for us. And I took that hook, line, and sinker, man, and ran with it, and I was born again. You come to Jesus with the knowledge that you have of him, and then he fills in the gaps. That's true with our kids. 
That's true with you and I. Even still today, you might say, I'm not a theologian. I can't teach a Bible. Say, I don't know. All I know is suffering and all that. But then just go to him with what you do know of him and let him take care of the rest. I don't know if I was numbering these, but number four, faith that prevails with God is a faith that comes no matter what your nationality is, no matter what your religious heritage is. It really does bother me that we don't see more blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians worshiping together. Now, I get it. There's different flavors within the body of Christ, but segregation should be dead, and it's not. And it should embarrass the church. You know, there is no difference in the kingdom of God. Everyone has to come, according to the, uh, the book of Jude, to the same common ground. I don't care if you're an Irishman, a Palestinian. In fact, one of the greatest moments I had in my life is when I was in what they called the Arab Quarter in Israel. And as I was standing there, an Arab man came up to me and he asked me, are you a Christian? Now, you don't want to answer that too quickly. And I'm looking at him and I go, Why? And he goes, because I'm a Christian. And I'm looking at him. I'm still thinking, ah, no, come on. I said, what kind of Christian? He looks at me like I got four eyes. He goes, what, you, what kind of Christian? Jesus Christian. I said, are you born again? He goes, blood washed. So he takes me into this little store that he has where he gives away Christian music. Wow, remember those wow CDs? Yeah. And I said, my goodness, you really are a Christian? He goes, oh, I love the Lord. And, I, I, and so we're sitting there. I'm crying. And uh, I said, well, what do you do for church? He goes, we're underground. Are you underground? You got a pastor? He goes, well, we got a guy that encourages us. But we listen to tracks or cassettes. I said, you listen to cassettes teaching? Yeah. I said, well, what you want? Show me one. And he pulls out a word for today with Chuck Smith on it. I got Calvary Chapel? He goes, yes, you know Calvary Chapel? I said, I'm Calvary Chapel. He goes, Chuck Smith? I said, no, 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 like, no, uh-uh. No, I said, I'm just a pastor in Calvary Chapel. God knows no difference. You know, we have different flavors. But we're all the same. We're, Jude said we all have to come to the same common ground, and that is the gospel death, burial, resurrection. Everyone's saved the same way through the blood of our Lord. I want to encourage you. Never show an indifference. Never do that. You know, just remember that when Jesus died and that blood flowed down the cross, it was for all humanity. Their sin, my sin, laid on Jesus that moment. That moment was so dark. You know the story. Why did you turn your back on me, Father? It's because of all our sin was laid on him. And Jesus was judged on our behalf. Man, you got to love him. Hate emotions. A faith that prevails is a faith that does not misinterpret the silence of God. Never misinterpret it. Silence only means silence. And he wants to draw something out of your life. A faith that prevails with God is a faith that will not allow itself to get discouraged. 
Man, she heard the disciples say, get away, get out of here. She, he's calling her a dog. I don't, you don't have any right to sit at the table. But man, she does not get discouraged. She keeps on. Don't let discouragement detour you. A faith that prevails with God is a faith always will test our pride. It always will. The, the, this kind of faith will tell you in your heart of hearts that you're not all that. Don't make yourself out to be somebody special. And again, one of my pet peeves with some of the ministries today is they do do that. They elevate themselves rather than elevate God. Got to be careful of that. A prevailing faith will humble you. It will never exalt you. You, A prevailing faith, you will see the cross and you will not stand in pride. You will kneel to it. A prevailing faith is a faith that always preserves. I'm sorry, it always perseveres. In other words, just stick with it. Stick with what you know. If you start to feel lonely, go through the Bible. Persevere through the scriptures. Read those verses where he promises never to leave us. If you're going through a financial hardship, he never promised us to be rich, but he did promise to meet our needs. And he will promise. He will do that. He will not see the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. He will take care of us. Doesn't promise to make us rich, but he promised us to treat us as sons and daughters of the kingdom. Got to ask you a question this morning. How many of you guys love him? Because that's where it all starts. Being in love with our Savior. Being in love with him and committing our hearts to him and just telling him this morning, I'm not going anywhere. Maybe I am in a desperate place right now. Maybe I, I've got issues going on in my home. Maybe my health isn't that good. But I'm not going anywhere. Maybe you're thinking you're going to lose everything if something doesn't happen soon. You're just going to tell him, you're going to say, Lord, where you go, I'll follow. Your people will be my people. Find that in the book of Ruth. I'll stick with you, Lord. I'm not going to give in. I'm not abandoned. I'm going to be with you. And guys, that's not a prideful statement. That is a statement of love. Amen? Amen. Sean, if you'll make your way out, buddy. I love you guys. I love our church. I love our church. I love the people in it. You know why? Because it's just so real, you know? And I, I have always been able to be a pastor that can just be me. I never had to feel like I had to put on a suit, that's for sure. Um, but I always felt like I was loved here. Man, and it makes, it makes doing this so easy. It really does. But anyway, would you stand with me and let's have prayer together. And I know there's some member of our prayer team that are here today. And if you would like just to come up and, and pray. Uh, they're here. That's why they're here. They just want to pray with you. If you feel like, man, this was my last service. I was just giving God one more shot at this and I'm bailing. Come up and pray with them. Because all you have to do is come, with, come to Jesus with what you know of him. Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the hope that it gives us. We thank you for the enlightenment where you really do show us your will. Father, we just pray, God, for anyone that's here today that might be so discouraged or maybe they're, they're facing a desperate situation in their lives. I pray, Lord, that even as I'm praying right now, you would speak to their hearts, that you would, you would 
captivate their mind, their heart with the awareness of your Holy Spirit. We love you so much, Lord. And again, God, help us. Help us to hear your voice, sense your spirit, your direction. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. I think we can squeeze a song in. Thank you.